0: Entrepreneur, speaker, and coach, Lucinda
1: Carney. Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of the HR Uprising. I'm your host, Lucinda Carney, and this week I'm delighted to have a special guest. Adele Shawflack is joining me. She's the director of Sweet Potato Consultancy, she's an expert in mental health issues in the workplace and also she's got a clinical health and education background. Now I'll let her explain further from that, but I felt that uh, she would be a great person to help us understand more about how we can look at different ways that HR can support people within the workplace in both the case of mental health, first aid and mental health and also for overall well-being. which I now understand from talking to Adele are very different things. So Adele, would you like to just kick off and give a little bit of an introduction and correct me if I've got anything wrong in that introduction? Um,
0: Yeah, 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 I'm I'm very welcome. I'm very pleased to come and join you today.
1: So is it more of a strategic, I don't, I'm trying to picture how a public health nurse role would work. Is it more strategic? Obviously not in a hospital.
0: It's not in a hospital, it's in community. So every person that you work with, you will do some preventative work. Um, But most of the work I was doing was mental health related. And that was just because of the way it is. So most people were stressed or they had depression. um, They had uh, maybe drug and alcohol issues. They had all sorts of different issues, a lot of which you might say were social problems. So some people were homeless. Some people were experiencing domestic abuse. And there was lots of issues regarding safeguarding. So you were making some fairly significant assessments as to what's going on. So the big picture was always part of it, what's going on in this area, what provision has this area got for this person to be able to help themselves with their health. And then where I needed to refer people into statutory services or work was in partnership with statutory services. And. Um, I did another role, a more strategic role for a little while, but then I decided that actually I was going to focus on what was happening in the workplace because we spend so much time there. And so what's interesting is this kind of um, contrast or tension between the individual's responsibility and the organisation or the business's responsibility. And currently there's a bit of a focus on okay we can do certain things to help but maybe the organizations are taking responsibility for what they are doing and what they're not doing.
1: In terms of um, making people work hard or in the fact that they are not sort of actively encouraging people to uh, work less or or, or, um, exercise or things?
0: Both really but in particular if if people are working really hideous hours then they are going to struggle to fit in all the things that they needed to do. So when I was an academic, I couldn't have had enough hours in the day to do all the things I needed to do.
1: Yeah, yeah. You
0: know, so, I couldn't have. You know, I would have needed to just stop sleeping, and uh, you know, sleep is an important part of looking after your well-being and your mental health.
1: And so, and I'll, and you don't actually get you actually get to a point where you're less productive, don't you? I mean, certainly, I think we all have different maybe times a day that we're more productive or less productive, and you can work longer hours and get less done if you're not, you know, recharged.
0: Yeah, and that's exactly what most people are doing. Is they're working. The UK working hours have got longer and longer. People are working more and more, and expected to do more and more. So you know, most organisations are having reorganisations, and people yes. are doing. There's less people trying to do more all the time. So that pressure is increased. And then on top of that, we know that the 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 in there's a massive increase with mental ill health. Um, you know, it was predicted. When I first went into nursing by the World Health Organization, that depression and anxiety would become um, greater, a greater risk issue than cancer, and um, that has proven to be the case, and is, the trajectory is that this will increase and get worse and get worse. You know, young people coming into the workforce now, so we know that um, between 16 and 25-year-olds, almost 40% of those young people are now diagnosed with mental ill health they've got a diagnosis and they're coming into the workplace. So that's before they've had any of the other exposure to working stress or the, you know, the life exposure that you might get by maybe suffering from ill health or, or bereavement or any of the other things that kind of be, can maybe trigger ill health.
1: What do you think the reason for that statistic is? Because, I mean, people would say, you say you hear lots about allergies nowadays, and people growing up in the 70s say, oh, there must have been allergies around then, we just didn't talk about it. I mean, are you saying that there's just, is there more actual ill health in terms of mental ill health? Or is there a greater level of diagnosis?
0: No, there's definitely more of it. More of it? Uh, There's definitely more of it. There's also an increased awareness of it with younger people. So, um and, but in terms of diagnosis it's actually fairly difficult as a young person to get into the system so mental health provision is poor for young people unless you're suicidal and it's hard to get an appointment with your gp uh so yeah you know these these are increasing child and adolescent mental health services are seeing a massive influx of referrals Um we're looking at seven and eight-year-olds now with really significant mental ill health issues
1: so, um, so- What's the cause of this, then, in your opinion?
0: Um, It seems to be considered that um, our kind of always on lifestyle is is really part of it, our social media and the continual assessment that they have at schools.
1: Right. Okay. So the constant pressure, pressure, pressure all the way through. Constant
0: pressure from very, very early on. And, you know, they're looking at, at views on social media of people who are frozen and don't look like that so yeah yeah body image issues and then parents so we've got you know now a generation of parents who don't know how to parent their children with social media so you know the the, the parents don't know how to put those parameters on it you know how do you put those parameters on it i mean if you look at me i'm you know i'm 53 and um you know when my kids were starting to go on social media i'm thinking you know i don't know how to do this stuff they know how to use it i don't know how to use it and similar with with you know the next generation of parenting out there, you know those parents don't know terribly well how to manage it, and because everybody is working, um what's happening online is very, very different. so the bullying that can take place online is quite scary mm. and um, yeah, you know and and that, you know that that experience can happen all the way through, but particularly with young people so so we've got a generation of young people who are coming into the workplace who not just have mental health, many of them, but um, do have an expectation that their workplace will support them and have a culture where they can talk about it.
1: So we've got obviously this is aimed at HR professionals, and that's a really yep. good sort of into our audience. And so it's, an, it's another thing I guess that HR um, needs to deal with in being the custodians of, of the people stuff. Uh, what would you say an organization should do to be helpful in this area
0: um ideally they need a culture where it is acceptable to to raise it and to talk about it but i mean let's just go back to i suppose defining what is mental ill health and what is well-being because there are they are two different concepts so when we talk about mental health often what we're referring to is mental ill health so we're often referring to somebody who may have um, depression or anxiety or, or maybe something worse than that, a, a serious long-term bipolar issue, such as bipolar. Um, yeah. But actually, we all have mental health. So, you know, you could, you could say, so how, how are you feeling today? How, how are you feeling in yourself today, Lucinda?" And you might say, well, actually, I'm feeling a bit sluggish today. I'm not feeling great. I'm feeling a bit low. Um, So that's your mental health and it goes up and it goes down and hopefully it won't go down too much and hopefully you know you will know whenever you're feeling not brilliant that actually you maybe need to see your girlfriends a bit more or you need a bit more sleep or you need a bit of time off not working quite so much Uh, you know some that will be you'll be able to put in something that will help lift you again.
1: It's about acknowledging it, isn't it? I was it's just thinking It's quite that awareness. Yeah, it's interesting that, because actually, and even as a people, if you're a people manager or a line manager, or an HR, you, know, you say, oh, how are you today? Actually, your heart sinks if someone says, well, actually, not that good. <laughs> you know, it's very British to go, yes. well, fine. Yes. Yeah, that's the yes. right answer. Crack on, isn't it? Yes. So, um, so I guess saw- what you're saying is, yeah, you make it OK for people to say really how they feel. Right. Yeah, absolutely,
0: absolutely. But it's then it's not just about talking about, and so it's not just enough to be able to talk about it. We need to be able to do something about it. So if somebody is depressed, then we need to know where to get them the help. But if it's the workplace that's causing them to be depressed because of excessive stress or uh, lots of change or uncertainty or you know lack of role definition or whatever that might be, then we need to do something about it. And 62% of people say that work is a major contributor for stress.
1: And were those, that list of things, that was quite interesting, that list of things that you said there, those are the sort of things that are common. I bet there are our common causes. So uncertainty, lack of clarity of what's, I mean, everything's moving so quickly nowadays. Everything's in businesses. moving very quickly, yeah. So it's really easy, isn't it, for you not to know what what your priorities are. So you might have a set of objectives that have been set for you, but actually demands are being made of you, which are taking you in a completely different direction.
0: Right. And demand is a big, is a big challenge. So if you've got demands made on you and that, you know, maybe you're, They've had a reorganization and actually expected to do more work than you were doing before, and you can't achieve that. That's going to cause a problem for you. So, work work-related stress, which is an actual, um, di- you know, there is an actual term for this, a legal term, is is caused with adverse reaction to excessive pressures or demands. So it's excessive pressures or demand, and it will be unique to the individual. So some people will be more vulnerable and, and others will be more resilient. Um, but nevertheless, we still know that there's a major set of factors that will influence so some of those that we've just talked about. And people who support people, so HR managers actually would be a, an at risk group.
1: It's funny, I posted that very question on a group this morning, um, an HR group, actually, how often do you practice your own self care, because you're absorbing like nurses, I suppose, yes. your example there, you're yeah. absorbing everybody else's challenges yeah. um you know how do you look after yourself and what, what would you recommend actually to 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 people who are in that in the hr community in terms of self-care i would self-care?
0: i would recommend that um similar for mental health first aiders uh, similar for nurses and you know people who are supporting people um that they all have supervision and support um So that could take place in a variety of different ways but that's that's what people need so they need time out where they can consider the cases that they're working with and the demands that are being made on them and then also spend some time looking at their self-care
1: so that's an interesting one. so can you explain for the audience here because supervision i think is quite familiar to people in clinical settings but may not be so much in yeah. business what do you mean by yeah. that
0: yes yeah, so su- supervision is something that as a nurse I, I had um probably two lots of supervision actually um but in general it's the opportunity to sit with um, an expert and you often it's done a, well it can be done on a one-to-one basis or it can be done in a group setting and uh, you 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 reflect on the cases that you've been working with that you are concerned about and it may be that they've been bothering you it may be that you are you want to maybe get other input into how maybe to do things better or differently or resolve them in a different way or more quickly or maybe you're a bit unsure about something you've done and you just wanted to check it out Um, but it's also a means of looking after your own well-being and so it's a safeguard that's been put in for people with a clinical background because of just to ensure that practice is of a high quality, but also to look after yourself. And, and this is a really important part of it. So we know that people who support other people,
1: um, that it's particularly draining. Definitely. So, um, and so it's kind of confidential, a um, way in which it's not kind of counselling or coaching, but it's just, a, it, I suppose it could lead into either of those, but it's allowing you to work through and offload, I suppose, process well, stuff that you've been dealing well, with.
0: Some counsellors will have supervision from other counsellors. Um, it's 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 a bit like coaching, but it's not exactly coaching. Um, so there's probably a combination of it, and usually it's done by somebody who understands um, some of the issues. So so I I carry out supervision for mental health first aiders, and I also offer it for managers um, and HR managers as well. I mean I would say HR managers are not great at Acknowledging that they need to look after themselves. <laughs> yeah, um, and I, you know, I think that 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 part of the whole thing, you know, if you're if you as an HR manager are trying to help uh, others in your organisation with their mental health, with their well-being. Um, you do need to start with putting your own oxygen mask on and mm-hmm. and that is actually recognizing that it has a toll on you and if it's not having a toll on you then i sort of wonder why it's not because it probably you know the some of the things that hr managers are dealing with is, are pretty challenging so you know the, the the average person will need support with
1: that yeah, and often there's quite a lot of people who are in standalone roles as well, which I think mm. is really hard because you've got to be confidential. So it's hard to have someone to confide in. Confide in,
0: yeah.
1: To, absolutely. to actually get that off your chest. And some of the really absolutely. you know stuff that people deal with is peculiar. Uh, it's quite shocking, actually, when you see some of the things people are dealing with. So um, you've mentioned a couple of times, and I'm sure actually probably quite a few people on this audience have heard of it, but I actually hadn't until um, I got talking to you. This whole concept of mental health um, mental health first aiders. Yeah. Could you explain a bit about that in businesses, please? Yeah, yeah.
0: So Mental Health First Aid was uh, brought in, was um, devised in, in Australia, so that's where it comes from. And um, it was a, a nurse who, um, a bit like sort of my sort of role in that, very education, health education focused, and worked together with somebody else, a professor, to create something called Mental Health First Aid. Um, and it's moved out from Australia to, to England in 2006 and then Northern Ireland and Scotland and Wales. And um, it's really trying to give parity of uh, mental health with physical health. So if you think about the, the physical first aiders that you have in, in the workplace, um, and I've done a variety of different first aid courses over the years. Um, and what what we find is that there are lots of people out there who are first aid trained, but very few who will be able to help with anything that's mental health related, and yet we're four times more likely to experience that. So yeah. so the, so the government is is once they sort out Brexit and they start thinking about other things, um they are they are very keen to introduce um, parity within the workplace. So I think it will start with parity and then I think it'll probably increase, but um, there will be a legal obligation on organisations to provide mental health first aiders. So, so it's a first response, it's a first response initiative. So it's about need and and the, the worst case scenario would be about prevention of suicide. Okay. And interestingly enough, if you, if somebody has a heart attack in front of you, unless you have a defibrillator there, you're unlikely to be able to resuscitate them. But you are much more likely to be able to make a difference in terms of somebody who's suicidal.
1: So a mental first aid, how would they, how would you know? Because I, I always imagine that people who are suffering with um, mental health issues, they might keep be quite secretive about it, someone who's yeah, feeling like yeah, that.
0: Yeah, they often do. So the idea is you get a cultural shift in an organisation where people feel they're able to come and talk to somebody. So um, probably the best example we've got is Thames Water, um, and Thames Water are, have trained up, or are aiming to train up, 30% of their mental health first aiders in their organisation, their big, big organisation, male dominated,
1: um, Well, so 30% of their population are going to be mental health first
0: aiders. 30% of their staff are going to be mental health first aiders. um, Investing huge amounts in this and they have a time to talk approach. So if they saw you and thought you were looking a bit down in the dumps, they, the first aider would approach you and say, do you want to go and have a cup of tea? And we'll have a chat and they have found all sorts of things coming out through the shift in their culture. So they, 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 the good things is that they have discovered that um, their employer cares about them and that's mm. come back consistently in their staff surveys. But they've also found all sorts of things. So from depression, anxiety, people who never felt safe enough to say that they were gay or lesbian or trans or whatever, they are feel now safe to declare that. But we've got um, domestic abuse, sexual abuse, um all you know all sorts of gambling addictions these are all things that the mental health first aiders are coming across so heavy stuff
1: so if you're if someone's a mental health first aider and and these things i guess what's what would training prepare you for because there's opposite that's the sort of thing that someone opens up um to you about any one of these challenges which which of would need professional help. You're a first aid, you're not necessarily a, you know, a consultant exactly. in that area. Yeah. What's the next step then if you've... Yeah.
0: So your role as a mental health first aider may be that you encourage somebody to access help. So you signpost them. So the two day course to become a... So there's three levels to the mental health first aid. So there's the two day one, which is the full first aider. And um, then there's a one day, which is about awareness and um champion and then there's a half day which is just kind of a very light touch approach so your actual first aider will be the one who's done the two-day course so i'm a first aider, mental health first aid instructor and so i teach the two-day course and and you're absolutely right one of one of the limitations of this role is that we need to be aware that people are not experts
1: so, yeah and, and they can't take it on themselves either they can't fix it all they can do is signpost can't they i guess they
0: it's... can signpost but they will still be human and that's why we do need supervision for them so where they are hearing a lot of this you know and particularly if you're in a, an environment where the floodgates open um, i'm thinking particularly maybe of a, a very young work, workforce where they're actually <clears throat> very comfortable in talking about this then once that floodgate opens and they're happy to talk about their anxiety or their depression, um, then actually you need to have some safeguards in to look after you. And often where people volunteer to become a mental health first aider, because it's usually just, you know, it's, a voluntary, it's a voluntary part of their role. Um, what we do need to be careful is that some people will volunteer because they've had experience themselves personally of mental ill health and they want to help others. But actually, they you know that means that they're p- potentially a little bit more vulnerable. But mm. the reality is, anybody who's listening to some of the stuff that I just described will need support. So, as, as I said, one of the things that I provide uh, is supervision, and it's you know it's really important that that structure is there because one of the quick fix approaches that organisations have is that they'll bring in a mental health first aid and they think, look, we're doing loads for for mental health now. We've got mental health first aiders um but actually we haven't got a joined up strategy we haven't got an you know approach and we've got no safeguarding for our mental health first aiders and for right. some of some of them they will walk into a, an environment where actually nobody will talk to them because the culture isn't warm enough for people to feel safe t, to talk and in others they'll be deluged so this week i heard about somebody who was a mental health first aider and just gave it up because they were just completely overwhelmed with people talking. Yeah, because obviously the, they've still got their day job, right? <laughs> they've still got their day job, but they, you know, there was no provision made for how this would be managed and supported.
1: So you're saying really, if you're gonna bring this in, bring yeah. it in properly with yeah. proper support for your mental health and first aiders. Um, otherwise you absolutely. actually end up just breaking a whole bunch of other people who are you, trying to help.
0: That potentially could happen. And that is your work. You know, that's, that's such so much the wrong thing to do. Yeah. You know, somebody who volunteers to help others shouldn't be broken by doing that. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Yeah, it shouldn't happen. And, and so you're talking about the strategic piece and that makes sense as well. I, I was wondering when you say sort of join it up in a strategic way, it may be different from the question I'm going to ask, but perhaps ask both if it's the case. I, I hear. I mean, well-being is a big, um, is the term. I'd say it's one of the probably the biggest buzzwords around HR at the moment. What would you say is the difference, or would you say this fits within a strategic well-being agenda? How, how does that fit together? The, these pieces.
0: Um, so well-being, I'd say, is slightly wider than just mental health. Mm-hmm. Um, so the challenge we've got is that often HR people don't necessarily understand the, the, the breadth of what we're looking at in terms what we look at well-being so so you know when we're looking at well-being we're looking at uh, physical health we're looking at mental health proactively we're looking at stress where actually things are starting to crack a bit and we might be looking at people who are diagnosed um, so somebody might be diagnosed with depression but actually with treatment and support they may get better and they may be fine or you might be dealing with somebody who has a long-term serious mental health condition and they will move in and out of being managing it okay and, and being unwell so you know we've got a we've got a vast it's a vast area here so if you're looking at a well-being strategy in general it may look at all of those in practice there's often some sort of a pathway for people like EAP and then and maybe that's as far as it goes and people will say they've got w they've got a well being strategy, but actually they really haven't.
1: Right. So so yeah, so that's just more of a kind of off offloading it kind of thing as opposed to don't think proactive. It's gonna be yeah. referring yeah. people yeah. somewhere. Yeah. That's like hands uh, arm's length approach. Arms so length, not,
0: length approach. And actually very few um, people take up counselling with the right. eap they feel quite i think they feel quite threatened that it's, they're going to speak to their employers which isn't the case but it's a you know it's often a, a wasted resource
1: it's a resource yeah right so so picked up um it's interesting so i mean I, there was something i saw recently about someone saying um so going back to the hr dealing with these sort of things so you might have someone with, let's say, uncontrolled diabetes, um, yeah. or something like that, which obviously can be highly risky, and things like that. But what, what would you, say, how would you say HR should approach something like that, someone with a chronic condition, but maybe isn't managing it? What would be an approach that they should take?
0: So we we know from the evidence that anybody who's got a long term chronic physical health issue is more at risk of having. Um, comorbidity which is co, a coexisting of um, another condition and in this case in particular we're looking at anxiety and depression running alongside it so uh, so if you were to look at your your kind of your your employee groups and think about the people that you know about because not everybody will come and tell you so if you know that somebody's got diabetes I and mean, if you're just using that as an example. Mm um the chances are they probably will have something else going alongside with that as well so the the stress and the strain of managing a long-term physical health condition will predispose them to having something else um mental health wise and um so yes i think you know being proactive and supporting people um really looking at health health management plans And, and, you know, I feel that well-being plans are something that probably most places should be doing. So, you know, what am I doing to look after my well-being? How do I know when I'm not feeling so well? How would others know? Um, What can I do about it? And actually have those conversations when, when people are okay, rather than leaving it until when they're not okay.
1: So that's like that plan that you just described there—a health or wellbeing plan. It's almost like a sort of contracting that you're in coaching, obviously. So you sit down with someone, say, you know, what are you going to do about it? And, and it's almost a coaching people to take ownership or responsibility and to say out loud what, yeah. what they should and can do. Yeah, is that something you'd recommend?
0: Yeah, and but I think the environment has got to support that, and and mm. that's the thing. So you know, if if somebody who's a, an uncontrolled diabetic is uncontrolled. One of the reasons their diabetes is uncontrolled is because they can't eat at a particular time. And they can't eat at a particular time when they're at work because the workload is such that um they can't have yes. their break at so a particular. You could help time. Them with that. So you yeah. can help them with that. Um and similarly with, with mental health and with stress, a huge amount of what's happening is that people are just working all the time. They're not having mm. a break. They can't switch off when they get home because their phones have their emails, their work emails, and their, their private emails. The people are feeling very, very much um, just overstimulated all the time. Yeah. And this means they're not sleeping well and so on and so forth. So there's masses here that you can do with HR, but you need to start by leading from the top. And so this means that um, you need to look after yourself and you need yes. to be showing that. So, you know, I used to work in a a strategic role. I was in an open plan office and all the senior people just sat there through their lunch break and they just worked and they didn't talk to anybody and they didn't come away from their desk and they didn't role model it and they would say, oh, yes, that's what you should go and do. But actually, it's really hard to do that when nobody else is doing it. It's really hard to be the only person doing it. Definitely. So as a leader, you need to come up with something that's feasible for you. So, you know, when I'm working with leaders, sometimes we come up with a, a compromise. It might not be feasible to leave your desk every day, but actually maybe once a week or once a week, you leave work on time, um, needs to be something that's actually, and then you get other people to help you do that, because we know that we're more likely to be accountable if other people are helping us with that.
1: I'm jotting notes here. That's, that's- That makes sense. So I suppose if we just summarise, because I am thinking there's quite a few things here that have come through which are useful tips for people and maybe I'll I'll repeat back to you some of the ones I've I've heard from from what you suggested. And perhaps if there's anything else that would be useful for the people who are listening here. I mean, what's coming through loud and clear is this whole concept of putting your own oxygen mask on first. Mm -hmm. We're no use to anybody if we're not practising our own self-care. Which then, of course, links into role modelling. So, although you might actually need to work through your lunch some days, you need to leave on time, um, etc. Uh, on, on other days, on, on you know, go or get up and go for a run or whatever that might be, mm-hmm. have a coffee. Mm-hmm. Modeling those sort of behaviours. Um, in terms of the mental health first aiders. What we're saying, if you're going to do that, do it properly. Yeah. Um so train people properly and very, very importantly, give them the supervision, the external support. Yeah. That means that they're they're not going to burn out. Yeah. I liked the idea you talked about also about um helping people take responsibility. So almost um well being plans or commitments mm-hmm. where we kind of I can always imagine like you could sign up to doing a certain number of steps if it was well be, you know, a day or whatever. So having some initiatives where people are when they're well, signing up to um sharing if they were unwell that sort of thing Yep. are there any other any other things that you've seen work that are worth sharing for this audience um
0: i think taking the time to look out for each other is really important and one of the things that we don't tend to realize is when we are starting to become stressed so we have we lose that ability of self-awareness and if everybody else is really busy as well, they also lose it mm-hmm. themselves, but also for each other. So where we start to really look out for each other and build that connection and you know admit that actually we're all human. So what's, what tends to work really well is leadership from the top, um, and people becoming people at the top becoming aware of their vulnerabilities. Now, I'm not terribly keen on the idea that everybody should go around spilling the beans um, on you know, some anxiety that they've experienced or, or whatever that might be if it doesn't work within that organisation. I think the context has got to be appropriate. Mm. Um, and I think it's got to fit with everything else that you're doing. But you do need to keep plugging away at it. So quick fixes don't work with wellbeing and mental health. They just don't work. It's not a destination. Yeah. It's a journey. So everything yes. changes all the time. So our own, our own mental health and our own well-being changes all the time. It's the same in the workplace. So if you know that you've got a big drive coming on where everybody's going to have to work really hard, you know, you need to prepare for that. And part of that would be about preparing people for how are they going to manage the stress and how are we going to support people through that, and how are we going to recognise that for some, it won't, it won't be an easy experience for them, and that may be because of a whole host of reasons, but it may be that they've come into, you know, they, they come into stress, um, perhaps more vulnerable than somebody else. And it's, yeah. not, it's not a blame game. It's just the way it is. We're all human. Some of us are taller than others. You know, that's the difference. You know, we are all
1: human. I think we and we do have different levels of resilience naturally. Absolutely. And then if you Absolutely. and if you've got sort of circumstances which are going on outside of home, so let's say you've got yeah. caring re- requirements or yeah. something, then it almost that's using up your reserves. So even someone who's naturally it. resilient, you know, uses a bit. Of and it's like you're being a bit run down, and yeah. you're more likely to come down with something. So it's being aware of those things. And I guess also your point that about actually, if you are, if you can see something coming, I think this is probably one of the hardest things to do in business. And I wonder if HR can help um, with this, is that if there is a big push, I don't know whether it's going to be a restructure or a, uh, it's the end of the financial year, everyone's pushing towards a number. What tends to happen in business, you, you do a big push on something, and then you just carry on on the next push, you don't pause. And I wonder whether there's a way in which that people go, right, you've done this. So, you know, take a long weekend or find a way of celebrating punctuating um things. Because I don't I think we just end to carry we almost get into a habit of like running at 150 miles away and that's the new so a mile, sorry. Um and that's the new norm. So perhaps it's about us helping to to actually regulate it and go, actually that was we can't do that. That's not sustainable. Absolutely. How can we and I, vary I think the pace? there is
0: a recognition that employees can experience mental ill health and they can be stressed. Although interestingly enough apparently mm-hmm only 25% of employers think that anxiety is an issue, uh, a serious issue in the workplace, but 57 of them think that flu is a serious issue. Um, you know, think, what, what flu is? Yeah, <laughs> it's just bizarre. Um, yeah. so, um, but, but a lot of them, you know, there isn't very much talk about managers, and, and I would put HR as part of this. You know, actually, yeah. who's supporting the managers? And the manager is having to make people redundant, sorry what was the provision made of that I mean it, it absolutely shocks me beyond belief that such major changes can go on in the workplace and there is no expectation that people will suffer from that in particular yeah. managers mm-hmm. we know that the managers are a key reason why people leave but actually what we do is we set them up to fail
1: Mm. And, and also, manage a key pe- reason why people stay as well. And so, if they have absolutely. to make someone redundant, they don't want to, and they are going to know that that person, you know, is a single parent family and yeah. and hasn't yeah, can't shoot, feed the kids at Christmas. It. So that's a, a huge emotional toll. They're more likely to know that personal situation if they're having to do something difficult.
0: So again, you know, it's about okay, um, you know, let's let's prepare for this, let's recognise this, and then fundamentally, it's about actually recognising when people. So research I did um, with nurses was showing that um, where people said thank you, even though the targets were there, so we've got two wards right next to each other, and one there was a waiting list for people to work there, for nurses to work there, the other they could not keep their staff. Exactly the same constraints, financial constraints, targets, all the rest of it, but the biggest difference was the manager. And this manager is coming out, being vulnerable, saying, I know it's tough, but you're doing such a good job. What you're doing matters. And actually, that was really valuable.
1: Really, So they really had people stayed because of just that simple, I mean, that's a really interesting point yeah. almost to close on, isn't it? That actually, although there's all the things we can do, it's your initiatives that require investment. If you can create a culture where the manager sincerely says thank you and recognises that you've worked late or gone the yeah. extra mile, then actually that. That has a huge tangible impact on people's Absolutely. stress levels, sense of appreciation. Um, and I guess all about being listened to, isn't it? Being listened being to heard. And, valued and valued, Yeah, that's, I think as the Stephen Curry coach says, it's um, being listened to effectively as the emotional equi- equivalent of oxygen. Yeah, which is uh, you know you can really see that. Yeah, uh, I don't. Know, it's really, really, really. Uh, fascinating talking to you thank you so much just for the purpose of the we'll obviously put your details on the show notes so that people can look you up um, and get in contact with you i guess but do you want to just tell us how they can contact you if people want to know more
0: yep so if you want to contact me um there's two main routes one would be through the website which is www.thesweetpotatoconsultancy.com or you can email me um, adele with two l's at the sweet and um, yeah i do i'm really happy to have a chat with people about what they're doing what they'd like to do um what we do is a variety of supervision support and work with managers and um, do quite a lot of stuff with managers um, but also mental health first aid and
1: uh, more strategic approaches as well. Fantastic. Thank you so much Adele. So, I uh, appreciate you being on the HR Uprising. I've really thought well, I found that a really fascinating topic, so um, I appreciate your input. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the HR Uprising podcast. You can access more information, including resources or links mentioned in the show at our website www.hruprising.com. Also, you might want to join our LinkedIn community or tweet to us at HR Uprising. We'd love to hear from you.